You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. Well, if you would, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, I thank you, God, for this day. God, I thank you for the beauty, God, of the Father. God, we know that um, there are many, many um, things going on in our life, Lord, that can be um, that can be traced back, God, to the to the lack of a good Father, Lord. And so, Lord, my prayer today, God, is that um, as we as I seek God to encourage fathers, God, and recognize my Father in heaven, but also recognize, Lord, that you've given me many many good men, just like there are good men in this congregation, Lord, who who sacrifice, who serve um, selflessly, Lord, to be able to provide not only for this for their families, but God for the body body of Christ at large, Lord. Let um, let our legacy be one, God, where we've done we've done great things in Your name, and we never shrunk back and we never backed down from the enemy, Lord. And we pray for this and many more in in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, Let's see. Let's listen. Let's jump right into it. First of all, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Amen. And not only that, listen, listen, whether you are a stepfather, whether you're a step in father, listen, or whether you're a godly influence um, on someone around you. um, Ladies and children, if you would turn to some man around this congregation and say, listen, you are more than a dad. And you say that same thing at home. You are more than a dad. All right. Amen. You know, one of the things that we as men sometimes um, we, we you know, one of the things that I think we, we sometimes neglect in our lives is that need to be encouraged by others that we are on the right road or we're on the right track. And so today I want to take some time to encourage you as men. And I want to take time to encourage you as men from a very familiar place. I want you, if you would, to turn to Job chapter one. Job chapter one. Um, if you're you at home, once again. Job chapter one. Today we're going to be looking at um, Job, and we're going to take a different slant. I mean, most of the times when we think of Job, we think of all the suffering that he went through um, from the next from the next chapters on. But one of the things that I want to stick a pin in today is about how good of a father Job was. How good of a father Job was. So once again, that is Job chapter one, and we're going to read just verses one through five. Okay. So if you would, Job chapter 1, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. And here we go. Here's what it says. It says, In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all of the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. But when a period of feasting had run its course, when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps 
My children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was his regular custom. Amen. Let's pray again. Lord, bless the hearers and readers of this word. Lord, watch over me, God, as I attempt, God, to, to, do, to do justice to your word, Lord. Ultimately, all I am is a mouthpiece, Lord. But Lord, use me today, God, to encourage fathers, God, to lift up um, to God, to be able to provide examples, Lord, so that, um, Lord, um, people can come closer to seeing what a good father looks like. We, all, we ultimately know, Lord, that you are the perfect standard of what, father, what a father is, Lord. But God, help us to give principles, Lord, to guide people in the right direction, God. Allow them to see the standard through us to you in Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So the title of today's sermon is Not Just a Dad. You know, as I was reading um, Job chapter one, um, it, it helped, it always, it, no matter, every time I read it, you know, you see that Job one starts off with this synopsis. It starts off with a synopsis about, you know, where he lived, which, which was us, and we have no, we don't exactly have a clue where us is. All we, we, all we are for sure of is that it may be in Arabia, possibly, or somewhere close to around the Euphrates River in the Middle East. But when we read his biography, we see that verses one through five are essentially a synopsis of his life. We see that even in verse five, um, we see that there's a, a declarative statement made about the, about the summation of who he was as a man. And I can't help that on a day like Father's Day to think about the type of man that I want to be um, when this is all said and done. You know, more than anything else, I want to be known as a godly man. If, if they don't remember me for anything else, I want to be known as a man who followed God with all of his heart. Secondly, I want to be known as a loving, good husband. I want to be known as the type of husband that when my wife speaks to me, even when if I'm not here at any time, even whether I'm here or whether I'm gone, that it is worth, it is, I'm a husband worth celebrating. And I also want to be known as a good father, one that their children see their dad as somebody who stood for something and did something great, even though he wasn't perfect. And that, and that in itself, fathers, Dads, daddies, is a hard, tall order. It's a hard and tall order. But rest assured that God is one who just doesn't give us a task. He equips us for that task. And so ultimately when we see what it means to be a good parent, a good daddy, we ultimately have to look to the standard, which is God. And God is the ultimate form or picture-perfect um, look of what a good father is. But man, when I look on earth and I'm thinking, man, I, I want to be a good dad. I want to I wanna do great things. And then I look and I see what Job is known for. It says he had all, he said he feared God. He was blameless. He was upright. It said that he shunned evil. It says he owned all these different um, possessions. He was wealthy. But then when it's all summed up with verse four, it says he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And I look and I go, whew. Good Lord, I, I'm not sure <laughs> if I will walk away from this earth and be known as the greatest man. Think about, I want you to think about the, the, um, the weight of that, right? It says that he was the, imagine walking away from this earth and we're reading this and he says he was the greatest man in all the East. That's a whole region of men, right? <laughs> 
That's a lot of people to be compared to and be called the greatest man, right? Now, when you look at the culture that Job lived in, and we believe that Job lived around the time around the time of Abraham. We believe that he lived in a time right in the beginning, around in the, in the Genesis possible narrative, okay? And so when we look at all the great people who've come through time, and we see that Job is called the greatest man of all the East, from a very cultural standpoint, we see that what, 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 the, um, what the writer of this story is, or the, what the writer of the scripture is doing, is really telling you about his grandeur. It's talking about the fact, and I want you to understand, like, from the standpoint of which it's coming from, and I promise I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So stay with me. It says that, number one, he was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. But then it gets to the material and the, and the position things that made him great. It says that he had seven sons and three daughters. If you're on your papers, kids, make sure you mark about the seven sons and three daughters. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. All right? Also, it says that he owned a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep, donkeys, oxen, all these different things. And listen, here's a bonus for you guys who have a bulletin. If you're able to add that up and give it to Miss Betsy, maybe she'll give you an extra surprise, okay? But he had all of these material possessions, and he was able, and then on top of that, he had a number of servants. And see, the reality of it is, is that when the author is telling this story, what they're referring to is Job's worldly greatness. And when I look at that, I go, man, I don't own that much. Man, I don't even have that many kids. <laughs> you know, I don't have servants. I serve. My wife serves. We serve, right? But it's interesting that when they say this in the story, that it calls him the greatest man of the East. And I, and I thought to myself, surely, as the biblical writers writing, that can't be all of it, right? But then as I look deeper, as I look in the, the before that, that word and after, I start to realize that Job's greatness was not just in his stature and his position. Job's greatness was in far more. Now, having a lot of kids in the, in the, in the um, Hebrew culture, you know what it made you? It made you a blessed man. Having a, lot of, having a lot of livestock, that made you a rich, blessed man, right? Having all these things made you great. But when I read Job chapter 1 in just those five verses, I realize that as they describe Job's greatness, it wasn't just about his position. Job was much more than a dad. Job was much more than a dad. And today, I want you men to know that, listen, God loves you that God sees you as more than a dad. Sure, your job is hard. Sure, you have a lot to keep up with, but you are more than a dad. And I think that is something that we as a culture, that we as a church, and that people all around the world should celebrate. You see, as we look at Job, we see that Job is not only, not only a dad, he's a teacher. When you look at verse 1, it, said, it tells us that this man from us was blameless, he was upright, and he feared God, and he shunned evil. You see, Job's character teaches others the example of what it means to have godly character. Parents, we are the, I want you to get this in, guys. 
We as parents are our children's first teachers. We as parents are our children's first teachers. The first example they will ever see on how to live any form of life is what they see in us. And I want you to understand that Job's idea, Job's life was based around these principles. It framed him, number one, as blameless, which means that Job was concerned about how he treated others. It says that Job was upright. And so that means that Job was a very principled man. He had values, he had values that he stuck to his guns with. In fact, it reminds me of somebody who had, who's had influence on my life, and that's my dad, Alexander. My dad, Alexander, Glenn, um, he lives right now, he lives in Brooksville, Mississippi. Um, my dad has always been the type of guy who will always do the best he can to provide all he can for his kids. And more than anything else, he's always just wanted to see his kids do well. Did you know, parents, that for a child, I mean, that for you, your children are like a crown to you? Scripture declares that we're, we're like a crown to our parents. When they see us and when we win, we make them proud. So that's when your dad and your mom, they pull out their wallets and they say, man, my son's doing this or my daughter's doing this. We are like crowns for them, right? Well, for my dad, me and my brother are like a crown for him. He is so proud of us. My dad is a very principled man. One of the things that he taught me early on, and it was more so by what he did, by what he actually said, and the value of principle he taught me is this, with a little bit of skill and a little bit of ability, it doesn't take much to live a content life. You see, growing up, we didn't have a lot. My mom and dad were, didn't, didn't have a lot as they, um, as they got together and they had me and, my bro and eventually my brother. And so, as any other family that doesn't have a lot, you have to make do of what you have. Well, listen, my dad learned how to plant a garden so that he could provide fresh food for us. And not only that, he till this day gives fresh fruits and vegetables to all the people in his neighborhood. A lot of them are relatives and people sometimes drop, off, drop by from even out of town. And keep in mind, my dad lives 15 minutes outside of town. So people have to drive out 15 minutes outside of town into the boonies, basically, to go get fresh vegetables for free. He gives it away. Not only that, my dad learned how to hunt. So, sadly, I didn't learn how to hunt from him because I just, at the time, I, I would have became interested. I was just kind of a little bit past it. But my dad would kill deer, rabbit, squirrel, and he would feed us. We never went hungry. And I'm always thankful for the fact that for what, what my, it, it didn't matter what my dad didn't have because what he did have made up so much more. And because of that principle, because of what he has done, because of who he is, it taught me that as a dad, as long as I have something, that's enough. And with that something, I can leverage it to do good things, not only for my family, but on behalf of God. And so I take that principle today and I use it to, to serve and to serve and sacrifice for my family. And for that, Dad, I'm forever grateful for you. Not only that, Job was not only blameless and upright, but it also says that he feared God. And we know that to fear God means to be, to honor him, to give him respect. And when we honor and we, when we honor God, that is the idea of fearing him. For us to fear God, we must give respect to his commandments, give reverence for who he is, to do what he has called us to do. And when we fear God, then we begin to shun evil. 
You can't have one without the other. Our fear of God should drive us to shun evil. And so with that being said, when I think about the idea of us being an example, I often think about my son, RJ. Around our house, we do our, we do our best to, um, to, to show our kids love, but to also discipline them appropriately. And one of the things that we do, that we do as a family is we want to make sure we have appropriate discipline so that our kids feel, basically feel the, the, um, the consequence of what they've done. So with my son, one of the things that he gets or gets a lack of if he is disobedient is Nintendo time, okay? So it sounds something like this, RJ, and he's not, you're not in trouble now, buddy, I promise. You're not in trouble right now, I promise. Um, but one thing that'll happen, I'll say, RJ, because you've done this thing, you're gonna have 10 minutes less Nintendo time. And so for my son, that stings. I mean, that's like ripping out his soul and giving it away. Okay, but here's the thing. I've learned that part of one of those things being like his punishment, he has learned that, listen, I want all my time and so I have to act accordingly. But it's also had a different type of effect. You see, because it's given him an example of how he thinks he should punish and reward his parents. So what he does is this, daddy does something good Dad does something bad or what he perceives to be not good, he says, Dad, you're going to have 10 minutes less Nintendo time. Mom, okay, Dad, Mom, you did good. You should, you're going to get a 10 minutes of extra Nintendo. And so he assumes that that's how we reward him and punish him. So that's got to be appropriate for everybody else in the world, right? But guess what? I am giving him an example of how to live and how to deal with reward versus punishment. So my son is learning from me. Now, it slaps in the face when he gets it back to me like that, but, but ultimately, that's what he's doing. And so we need to be careful about the examples that we set for our children because we are our parents, I mean, we are our children's first teachers. Not only that, men, you're more than a dad. You are not just a teacher, you're a provider. You're a provider. And when I say that, I don't mean just monetarily, although that is important. I would like to point out that Job had a job, okay? J-O-B had a J-O-B, okay? Or J-O-B had a J-O-B-B-B-B, if you feel that. I'm just kidding, no. Um, but you see that Job, Job was a provider for his family. And I want you to understand that because of Job's character, God allowed him to provide for his family um, for himself and his family. His provision provided for his family, not only in the present, but also in the future. You know, dads, as we work, we need to understand that what's at stake is not just now. Don't get me wrong, now is important and we need to be focused on now, but we also need to be leaving a legacy for our children to inherit. Now, whether that's, you know, whether that's a trust, whether that's a will, what, no matter what it is, we need to be making sure that our children are being set up for future growth. You see, here's the thing. Job had all of these animals, right? And children, you can see those animals in your bulletin. But Job had all this animal. And give in mind that in the Hebrew culture, that those livestock equaled wealth, Okay. And not only that, you know he had a lot, so he had to have a lot of servants to take care of said animals so that he could make money. 
it wasn't about him just being a good, a good daddy, a good businessman, and a good standing person in the community. He had to provide for his family in the, in the now and in the future. As I think about this, I think about, um, I think about the fact that Job, Job had so much, Job had so much money that he was able to allow his children to all have separate houses. Now, I want you to understand, that is very uncommon in Hebrew culture because what would usually happen is this. You know, mom and dad have a kid, kid stays, he grows up, he finds somebody, he gets married, and then he moves back home with his wife, and they have kids, and they all stay together. So, Brother Jeff, imagine if all four of your kids came back home, and all their kids, and, you know? That's okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, so that's what it would be like, right? But Job had so much money that, like, his children were able to have individual houses. And not only that, they had feasts, and they invited their sisters and brothers over to celebrate together. You see, Job's wealth didn't just provide for the now, it provided for the future. And this reminds me of my grandfather. My grandfather, Eddie Will Johnson, um, he went to be with the Lord about roughly about three, or, about three years ago. He died on December 7th of 2017. My grandfather was the type of guy that he didn't say much, but when he said something, it, it gave weight. And just so you know, my grandfather's the one on the left, okay, in the black, all right? You can see the family resemblance, can't you? Um, and, so, and, and so my grandfather's the type of person, he didn't say a lot, but when he said something, it had weight. My grandfather spent most, spent most of his years working for the Mississippi State University um, Agricultural Extension Research Station. And so what he would do is this. He would go out, he would grow a crop of soybeans, corn, or whatever they asked him to grow so that they could turn around and use that same, um, that same agriculture to do experiments and figure out, you know, to figure out all sorts of problems. So my grandfather was a mechanic on that farm and he grew vegetables. And, and, you know, and God blessed him with, to have a, a large family and have a home on the on-set um, experiment station. Well, my grandfather was the type of guy that, listen, when he told you to do something, you better do it. Let me tell you, I've only had five whoopings from him, and I remember all of them vividly. And they were with his hand, okay? My, dad, my grandfather had tough hands, man. Anyway, that was a side note. Anyway, I love you, granddaddy. Um, but... <laughs> My grandfather at one time, when I was going to college, um, I, bought, I had recently bought my first car actually. And I, my very first car in high school was a 1987 Pontiac Grand Am. I love that car to death. But by the time I got to my freshman year, I blew the head gasket on it and I was on the side of a road late at night, nowhere to go basically, until my grandfather, until I had a friend bring me home. And I had to figure out how to get a new car. Well, my grandfather, because he was a mechanic, out, even outside of where he worked, worked on cars a lot. And so he helped me find a car, which I bought, and then he helped me get it back on the road. Well, eventually that car put me down. And so then my grandfather said, hey, my grandfather had recently had bought a 2001 Kia Spectra. And so he said, hey, until I get your car up and running, I just want you to take this car and I want you to go and I want you to come back in about a couple of weeks to check in, I should have your car ready. And I said, cool. Now you gotta understand, me borrowing my grandfather's new car was like, I mean, you, you either gotta take care, really good care of it, or you're gonna be in trouble. 
okay? So I treated that thing like it, I treated that car like it was on a velvet pillow. I just, look, I would wash it all the time. I would clean it out so that when I got it back to him, it was in premium condition. I didn't want my grandfather to have any type of gripe. Once again, he never said much, but what he said meant a lot. And so I finally brought it back to him and I said, here you go, granddaddy, is the car ready? He said, listen, um, son, if you would, just um, take it back out. I still need some more time. I will be back. I mean, listen, you come back and we'll, we'll go for it then. I said, okay, cool. So now I'm worried because I'm like, Lord, I got to spend a couple more weeks, you know, because I don't want anything to happen to this thing, right? And so once again, I took on the velvet pillow. I tried my best to take care of it, all these different things. So, so I would bring it back. He said, no, you know what? Um, I, you know what? Things are kind of tough. Listen, give me a month and bring it back. Or bring me the summer, bring it back. And so every time I would bring it back and I'm just sitting there like, here you go, granddad, here are the keys. And he would say, no, 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 take it right? And so what eventually happened is after about roughly four to five months of holding on to his brand new car, my grandfather said, son, I want you to take this car and I want you to keep it because you have to go back and forth to school. I know that you're going and you're serving at the church. And at that time, um, at that time, I think I was getting ready to start I'm going to school, I think, um, roughly from Starkville or moving to Tuscaloosa to have to go to school at Stillman College. So I would have to drive about an hour and a half into the next state, basically. And so he knew, listen, so you need a reliable car to get back and get home and be able to come. And so I want you to hold on to it. And keep in mind, my grandfather was still making payments on this car. And he gave me the car that he had just bought for himself because he didn't have a vehicle. He eventually fixed up the car that I was supposed to have and he kept my car. And I kept that car until about four years ago when it quit on me, all right? I want you to understand this. My grandfather provided for me, not only for the present, but for the future. I kept that car until I got married. That car got me not only through my college years and my ministry years at home, it got me to my ministry years here in Jackson. And for that, I'm forever thankful, Dad, grandfather. And so what I say with this is, what I say with that is this, men, you are your child's first provider. You are their first bank, <laughs> their first ATM, <laughs> their first Mr. Fix-It, their first, listen, when, when, those, when those difficult toys come home, guess who's usually putting them together? Even if you have no clue or no experience how to put it together, <laughs> you put it together. Listen, you are the provider. You, we are thankful for all of you, all that you put, all the, all the energy that you put into doing all that you do. Whether it's driving to sports, sports games, whether it's taking back and forth to school, whether it's, listen, taking people to play sports and they quit sports and then you take them back out because they want to try sports, or they go to this one thing and they don't like it, so you take them to another thing and they don't like it, you take them to the last thing, they don't like it, so you come home. All these different things are things that you do to provide for your family. You are more than a dad. You are more than a dad. And lastly, and this is by far the most important point that I want you to stick home with. Dad, you are not just a dad. You are a priest slash pastor. You see, in verses four and five, it says that when Job would go and have fun and he would feast with his kids, it says that Job wouldn't just have fun. 
Joe would wake up early in the morning. He would get up and he would prepare to make offering for his kids. And not only would he prepare to make offering for his kids, he would do it in such a way where, in fact, let me just read it. How about that? It says in verse 5, it says, When the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangement for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offerings for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. You see, Job lived a good life with his family, but he did not neglect being the spiritual leader for them. Job would pray for his kids even before they fell into sin. You see, Job didn't just pray when his kids got into some mess. Job prayed, hoping, Lord, I hope they don't get into any mess. How often do we pray for our kids? You know, we often hear that, listen, we need to be praying for our kids, praying for our kids' parents, right? And sometimes, and let's be honest, you know, if you're praying for your child, amen, continue to do so. But listen, for some of us, we only pray when, it, when we hit rock bottom. And we be praying constantly like Job that our kids don't fall into sin, that the Lord steers them away from traps and pitfalls and things that could get them caught up in life. Job did that. And not only does it say that Job prayed for his kids or offered sacrifices for his kids, it says that it was a regular practice. It wasn't just, oh God, my son is in the trouble. Oh, I got to go run and pray now. It was, listen, Job did it like he got up and brushed his teeth and ate breakfast. Did you get that? How often do we pray for our kids? How often do we, how often are we concerned about our children's spiritual health? Dads, just like many other firsts I've already mentioned, you are your child's first pastor. Before they even step foot in the church, under anybody else's leadership, you are the first pastor. And listen, I, and this is, is not an encouragement, but also a warning. How we pastor our kids is going to affect how they take leadership when they're under those who they have to submit to. So we need to be good pastors, loving, gentle, yet firm in places where we need to be so that we can further them and lead them in a way so that they are easy, so that they are a joy to lead. may not always be easy to lead, but they're a joy to lead. When I think of that, I think of my mentor, Carl Johnson. I met him first in 1999. Um, the picture you see above us is um, him at my wedding. This is at West Carthage Baptist in Carthage, Mississippi. I am getting ready to take Tamara, my bride, and I'm nervous as all get out. And he, he and, and what you don't know, right before that picture, he looked at me and he said, son, you gotta be just like her. You trust in the Lord and you treat her right and everything will be just like her. He's walked with me through many a moments like that. Um, he's prayed for me in some of the toughest situations. Although I met him in 99, it was two, it was actually three years before I actually came to Christ. He told me sometime after, he was like, listen, when you were out there, and I knew you were out there, even when I didn't think you were out there, <laughs> uh, he's like, I prayed for you. I saw where you were, 
and I pray for you. He prayed for me when I was in bad relationships that were going to get me in trouble. He prayed for me when he saw me about to make bad decisions and he wanted the Lord to steer me in a different direction. He prayed for me when I, and he prayed for me ultimately the most important thing was so that I would receive Christ as soon as I could and see the light of heaven. And thankfully in 2002, somewhere in the fall of 2002, finally all the blinders fell off and I saw God's light and I came to know him. Now of course, Carl Johnson's not the sole reason that I came to Christ, but I'm thankful that he as a pastor has a compassion to continue to love, be gentle and firm, and pray with me in the hopes that I would come, I mean, I would come to see Christ and ultimately receive salvation. Men, ladies and gentlemen, the men in your life are blessings from God. God has put these people in your life strategically. Now here's the thing. Whether you're, whether you're married to them or not, God has put these people in your life so that they can have an effect on you. Listen, maybe you're here you're like, Reggie, I'm not married and I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a husband, right? Well, perhaps God puts men in your life that act like strong brothers, like big brothers. Are you saying, listen, I'm coming out of a relationship and I don't know what to do. Well, perhaps the Lord puts other men around you to help you take care of needs that that husband or that person should be your husband is, is um, lacking. Maybe you're in a relationship where, you know, maybe you're a step, right? You have a stepdad. Well, listen, having a stepdad to encourage and bless your children, or a step-in dad, someone who is trying to fulfill those roles, or an uncle or a brother or whoever, God has put these men in your life so that he could bless you. And that, my friends, is worth celebrating. So men, remember this, you are not just a dad. You are not just a dad. You are a teacher. You are sent to be the example for your children and for your, and for your um, spouse and for all the people around you who see you. You are a provider, meant to not only provide monetarily, but to provide support, emotionally, Socially, whatever it may be, so that your so that your child and your um, and your spouse are able to make it through this. I mean, through this um, fallen world. And lastly, but most important, you are a priest. You have been made to intercede for your family. And thank God that we have someone who intercedes for us, so that we can intercede for our families. You see, Jesus. God sent Jesus. Jesus is the one who intercedes on our behalf. And I'm done. Let you stand. Jesus is the one who intercedes on our behalf so that we can have life and have it more abundantly. And my promise to you is this. Jesus is continually interceding for us because the Father has provided that for us so that we can have a relationship with him. But do you know him? Do you know the intercessor? Do you know the person that God has provided to intercede between you and the throne of God? Because he stands there in the gap saying, God, Father, forgive them for their sin, Lord. I'm going to take what they've done. I'm going to take their sins, Lord, if you will accept them, if you accept them from me. That's the trade. God lets Jesus take your sins. And, on, and in a trade, you give Jesus righteousness. And you are able to have a relationship with the Father that's next to none. 
And so my prayer for you is this, is that as you, as you think about Father's Day, and listen, I know that Father's Day is not always good for everybody, but here's what I've learned, and here's what I've learned from, from some men in my family. You know, sometimes things get so bad that you need to celebrate the good things in your life. Yeah, you can find the bad things. That's easy. But learn to celebrate the good people that God has put in your life. And here's the thing. If you don't see them, it's because you're not looking hard. The Lord has put people in your life to bless you. And in turn, he wants you to be able to celebrate, encourage them, and lead them and point them into God with what he has done for you. He has put those people in your place to help intercede for you. But will you accept his intercession? Will you, will you give your life to God? Will you encourage others? Will you spur people on to good works? Is my, is my question for you. Because he's given us all. He's given us all. And all he wants in return is relationship. Dear Lord, God, I thank you guys for allowing me to, to share more about God, what it means to be a dad. Not only that, Lord, I'm thankful for all the men that the men who we stand back to back with, and we and we do our best to lead these congregations as we can. But Lord, we know we don't do it alone. We know that there are other men and women, Lord, who support us, stand in the gap, God, who intercede on our behalf. So Lord, I'm so thankful for every man in this congregation. Thank you for the people who they have a effect on. I'm thankful for their lives. God, we know that we are not perfect. But God, I'm so thankful, God, that they know you. That they, that they strive to be men after their own heart. And God, that they strive to be encouragers to those around them to point to you. God, I pray there's anyone in here, God, who struggles at this time, God, who says, Reggie, I don't know if a good father can talk about this. Well, Lord, I pray, God, that you would show them the people in their lives, God, who are bringing joy and light, God. Even if it's the smallest glimmer, Lord, the service or acts of kindness or, or, the, or blessing of words, Lord, I pray that you would show it to them. Lord, I also pray, Lord, that if there is, God, that you would uh, bless each and every man here, God, that you would keep their Lord, that you would keep them um, girded up, Lord, in a time when the enemy is striking even tougher. God, that you would keep them, that you would keep them built up. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would celebrate manhood. Celebrate manhood. Because, Lord, you need us to continue to step up. But we know that many of the problems that we have in this culture are because dads are not taking the reins. And so, Lord, we pray, God, that you strengthen ourselves, continue to hold on to the reins or take the reins if we have it, and point people, not only ourselves, submit ourselves to you, but point people to life in God. If there's anyone else, God, who has not given themselves unto you, as, a, um, as someone who has surrendered to your will and your way, God, by surrendering themselves to Christ and acting as you come, we pray that they will lay their lives down and say, Lord, I want you to have your way in my life. Father, I want to obey you in every sense. God, here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. You take it, do with it what you will. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for what you're doing now and for what you've provided for us that is ready for us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.